All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian, and this is Brian's Badger Lodge, which is the bi-weekly, hopefully optimistically, call-in show where we have men call in, give their thoughts on a given topic, um, maybe about whatever they want, really. There's, there's, no, there's no specifics here. We don't have a agenda or itinerary. But uh, I try to like focus on conversations about masculinity in uh, symbolic ways, in, in, in a philosophical way, because um, I think that it's important that we as men uh, try to stay connected to what that is. What is the essence of masculinity? What does that mean? As you know, you're not going to get that from your culture. You're not going to get that in schools. You're not going to get that from the politicians. You're not going to get it from the media. You're not going to get it from entertainment. In fact, you're going to get the opposite of that. You're going to get a horribly distorted misandric, anti-male, anti-father, anti-boyhood perspective. So I'm going to try and have conversations and encourage conversations that are going to bring us a little bit closer to masculinity, to a real healthy masculine that is not um, in service to like to women or to some um, institution or some authority, you know, outside of its own sake so a couple a while back i did a reading from a couple of episodes where i was reading from a book called the way of man by jack donovan um and i enjoyed that series because it was kind of an interesting look into masculinity as a set of virtues right it was like strength courage honor and why do I not remember the last one? Um, but yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. They, it was a it was a pretty good read uh, from from that you know perspective, Jack Donovan's perspective, and I thought that I would get more into the symbolic. I, I was I've been like looking at and you know watching some videos about like Carl Jung and uh, Joseph Campbell's you know, Hero of a Thousand Faces, The Hero's Journey. I talk a lot about stories and the importance of stories and um, why we we as human beings resonate so much with stories and why we desire them. But this also means that they're extremely useful tools for propagandists, for ideologues, for people who want to, who want to manipulate us, to want to try and control us, control our emotions. And so we have to have a better understanding of archetypes you have to have a i think that we need to get reconnected to that because you know you might think stories aren't important um but i think that they're extremely culturally significant and i think that uh there are plenty of people who are grasping for power that know that and it's probably be good for us to like become a little bit familiar so i decided finally because i was like really debating this one for a while to go ahead and pick up the Kindle version of the book King Warrior Magician Lover, as it is supposed to be a deeper dive into uh, these Jungian um, archetypes of masculinity. And this book, I believe, came out in the 90s. Um, I was just going to double check it because I totally just bought it. And I, for whatever reason, um, forgot. So let me go into my Kindle and just get you the um, get you guys the actual date that this came out. 
So, sorry about this. It'll just take a second. Uh, King Warrior, Magician Lover, just so we have a better idea. Um, this book was uh, published in August of 1991. So, Jack Donovan's book, The Way of Man, um, or The Way of Men, Jack Donovan, that book came out in... Uh, let's see. I got it right here. I have the book, but it's not in the room, and I don't want to leave the room, so... I thought that it might be good to go a little bit, like start with something modern and go work our way backwards. Um, this book, why doesn't it say when it came out? That is really strange. Pretty sure this was in the 2010s. It's not, it's, a, it's actually a pretty new book. Um, for some reason, I'm not seeing the, the um, copyright, but that's not important. So it's a pretty recent book, and now I'm going to go back a bit, and we're going to look at this book from the 90s, okay? So I'm going to read from the preface and see how, uh, maybe get into the introduction or one of the early chapters, and then give my, get, let's give ourselves something to think about with that, and then maybe I'll take some calls. So if you guys have read this book already, um, let me know and um, you know what your thoughts are on it. More than that, if you call in and you want to talk about the subject, that would be great, but it's not absolutely necessary. And I'll, if you guys like this book or at least like how it, what it talks about, maybe we'll do a series. I'd like to go through all four of the archetypes. Um, I think that that's totally doable with like over the course of multiple, you know, episodes. So. All right, so let's start with the preface. The archetypes of king, warrior, magician, and lover have been increasingly in focus in men's gatherings and publications in the United States and abroad. Indeed, many people assume that these patterns have traditionally been understood to be the building blocks of the mature masculine. In fact, the psychological research that led to the naming of these archetypes as the four fundamental configurations which, in dynamic relationship, constitute the deep structures of the mature male psyche was first presented in a series of lectures at the Carl G. Jung Institute of Chicago and first published in a series of best-selling audio tapes now widely influential in the men's movement. It is our belief that the psychological findings outlined in these lectures constitute a major and potentially revolutionary breakthrough in decoding the fundamental deep structures of the human self both masculine and feminine. This decoding of what Carl Jung calls the double quarantino builds on Jung's understanding of the archetypal self, but extends our grasp of inner geography beyond Jung's work by clearly delineating not only the psychological contents and potentials imaged in the four quarters, but also the two fundamental dialectical oppositions built into the dynamics of the deep self. King or queen, magician and lover slash warrior. King, Warrior, Magician, Lover is an exploratory survey of the implications of this research for understanding the masculine psyche. It is the first of a forthcoming five-volume series on masculine psychology based on this paradigm. Subsequent volumes are planned that will elaborate the wider implications of this theoretical model for human psychology and spirituality. 
Those with technical professional interests or who find their curiosity stimulated and want to know more should consult the list of resources provided at the back of this book. Our purpose in writing this book, however, has been to offer men a simplified and readable outline of an operator's manual for the male psyche. Reading this book should help you understand your strengths and weaknesses as a man and provide you with a map to the territories of masculine selfhood, which you still need to explore. All right, uh, so that was the preface. Let's take a look at the introduction. If you guys want to send any super chats or whatever, I will uh, stop to check on those. I do have my Kindle open um, on another tab, so I got to like kind of bounce back and forth. So let us uh, continue. Okay, introduction. I don't know how good this is going to be, but we'll see. During Bill Moyer's recent interview with the poet Robert Bly, Quote, a gathering of, of men, that's the name of the poem or the interview, a young man asked the question, quote, where are the initiated men of power today, end quote. We have written this book in order to answer this question, which is on the minds of both men and women. In the late 20th century, we face a crisis in masculine identity of vast proportions. Remember, this came out in the 90s, so they were already talking about a crisis of masculine identity in the 90s and this is probably something far older than that too increasingly observers of the contemporary scene sociologists anthropologists and depth psychologists are discovering the devastating dimensions of this phenomenon which affects each of us personally as much as it affects our society as a whole why is there so much gender confusion today at least in the united states and western europe it seems increasingly difficult to point to anything like either a masculine or a feminine essence. Again, I just want to remind you guys, they're talking about gender confusion and all of this other stuff. Remember, this is the 90s. So think about that. Take that into consideration and then compare what they're talking about to where we are now. And, and they're, you know what I'm saying? Like put that in perspective. So we can look at family systems and see the breakdown of the traditional family. More and more families display the sorry fact of the disappearing father, which disappearance, though either emotional or physical abandonment, or both, wreaks psychological devastation on the children of both sexes. The weak or absent father cripples both of his daughters and his son's ability to achieve their own gender identity and to relate in an intimate and positive way with members both of their own sex and of the opposite sex. But it is our belief and experience that we can't just point in any simple way to the de disintegration of modern family systems, important as this is, in order to explain the crisis in masculinity. We have to look at two other factors that underlie this very disintegration. First, we need to take very seriously the disappearance of ritual processes for initiating boys into manhood. In traditional societies, there are standard definitions of what makes up what we call boy psychology and man psychology. This can be clearly seen in the tribal societies that have come under the careful scrutiny of such noted anthropologists as Arnold Van Gennep and Victor Turner. These are carefully constructed rituals for helping the boys of the tribe make the transition over to manhood. 
Over the centuries of civilization in the West, almost all of these ritual processes have been abandoned or have been diverted into narrower and less energized channels into phenomena that we can call pseudo-initiations. We can point to the historical background for the decline of ritual initiation. The Protestant Reformation and the Enlightenment were strong movements that shared the theme of the discrediting of ritual process. And once ritual as a sacred and transforming process has been discredited, what we are left with is what Victor Turner has called mere ceremonial, which does not have the power necessary to achieve genuine transformation of consciousness. By disconnecting from ritual, we have done away with the process by which both men and women achieve their gender identity in a deep, mature, and life-enhancing way. What happens to a society if the ritual processes by which these identities are formed become discredited? In the case of men, there are many who either had no initiation into manhood or who had pseudo-initiations that failed to evoke the needed transition into adulthood. We get the dominance of boy psychology. Boy psychology is everywhere around us, and its marks are easy to see. Among them are abusive and violent acting out behaviors against others, both men and women, passivity and weakness, the inability to act effectively and creatively in one's own life, and to engender life and creativity and in others, both men and women. And often, in oscillation between the two, abuse and weakness, abuse and weakness. Along with the breakdown of meaningful ritual process for masculine initiation, a second factor seems to be contributing to the disillusion of mature masculine identity. This factor, shown to us by one strain of feminist critique, is called patriarchy. Patriarchy is the social and cultural organization that has ruled our Western world and much of the rest of the globe from at least the second millennium BCE to the present. Feminists have seen how male dominance in patriarchy has been oppressive and abusive of the feminine of both the so-called feminine characteristics and virtues and actual women themselves. In their radical critique of patriarchy, some feminists conclude that masculinity in its roots is essentially abusive and that connection with eros, with love, relatedness, and gentleness, comes only from the feminine side of the human equation. As useful as some of these insights have been to the cause of both feminine and masculine liberation from patriarchal stereotypes, we believe there are serious problems with this perspective. In our view, patriarchy is not the expression of deep and rooted masculinity, for truly deep and rooted masculinity is not abusive. Patriarchy is the expression of the immature masculine. It is the expression of boy psychology and, in part, the shadow or crazy side of masculinity. It expresses the stunted masculine, fixated at immature levels. Patriarchy, in our view, is an attack on masculinity in its fullness as well as femininity in its fullness. Those caught up in the structures and dynamics of patriarchy seek to dominate not only women but men as well. Patriarchy is based on fear. The boy's fear, the immature masculine's fear of women, to be sure, but also fear of men. Boys fear women, they also fear real men. The patriarchal male does not welcome the full masculine development of his sons or his male subordinates any more than he welcomes the full development of his daughters or his female employees. This is the story of the superior at the office who can't stand it that we are as good as we are. 
how often we are envied, hated, and attacked in direct and passive-aggressive ways, even as we seek to unfold who we really are in all of our beauty, maturity, creativity, and generativity. The more beautiful, competent, and creative we become, the more we seem to invite the hostility of our superiors or even of our peers. That uh, what we are really being attacked by is the immaturity in human beings who are terrified of our advances on the road toward masculine or feminine fullness of being. Patriarchy expresses what we are calling boy psychology. It is not an expression of mature masculine potentials in their essence, in the fullness of their being. We have come to this conclusion from our study of ancient myths and modern dreams, from our examination from the inside of the rapid feminization of the mainline religious community, from our reflection upon the rapid changes in gender roles in our society as a whole, and from our years of clinical practice in which we have become increasingly aware that something vital is missing in the inner lives of many of the men who seek psychotherapy. What is missing is not, for the most part, what many depth psychologists assume is missing, that is, an adequate connection with the inner feminine. In many cases, these men seeking help had been and were continuing to be overwhelmed by the feminine. What they were missing was an adequate connection to the deep and instinctual masculine energies, the potentials of mature masculinity. They were being blocked from connection to these potentials by patriarchy itself, and by the feminist critique upon what little masculinity they could still hold onto for themselves. And they were being blocked by the lack in their lives of any meaningful and transformative initiatory process by which they could have achieved a sense of manhood. We found, as these men sought their own experience of masculine structures through meditation, prayer, and what Jungians call active imagination, that as they got more and more in touch with their inner archetypes of mature masculinity, they were increasingly able to let go of their patriarchal self and other wounding thought, feeling, and behavior patterns, and become more genuinely strong, centered, and generative towards themselves and others both women and men. In the present crisis in masculinity, we do not need, as some feminists are saying, less masculine power. We need more. But we need more of the mature masculine. We need more man psychology. We need to develop a sense of calmness about masculine power so we don't have to act out dominating, disempowering behavior towards others. There is too much slandering and wounding of both the masculine and the feminine in patriarchy, as well as in the feminist reaction against patriarchy. The feminist critique, when it is not wise enough, actually further wounds an already besieged authentic masculinity. It may be that, in truth, there never has been a time yet in human history when mature masculinity or mature femininity was really in ascendancy. We can't be sure of that. What we can be sure of is that mature masculinity is not in the ascendant today. We need to learn to love and be loved by the mature masculine. We need to learn to celebrate authentic masculine power and potency, not only for the sake of our personal well-being as men and for our relationships with others, but also because the crisis in mature masculinity feeds into the global crisis of survival we face as a species. Our dangerous and unstable world urgently needs mature men and mature women if our race is going to go on at all into the future. 
Because there is little or no ritual process in our society capable of boosting us from boy psychology to man psychology, we must go on our own with each other's help and support to the deep sources of masculine energy potentials that lie within us. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. To the deep sources of masculine energy potential that lies within us all. We must find a way of connecting with these sources of empowerment. This book, we hope, will contribute to our successful accomplishment of this vital task. All right, so I've read it for about a half an hour. I think I'm gonna stop there. That's basically the introduction and the preface. And the next chapter is called From Boy Psychology to Man Psychology. And I could probably read that uh, next time. Let's see how long it is. Three, four, five, six, it's like six pages. Um, the, the, but the text is pretty big. So maybe I'll read this part one. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, would you like me to read another section or do you want me to start taking calls? Um, I, am, I don't see any question requests just yet. So make sure if you're looking at the, uh, uh, if you're posting questions, uh, those of you guys who are doing my screening for me, put them in the questions tab because, um, or the questions chat because I can't look at two different chats and the manage the stream at the same time. And be sure to tag me in the post. So I appreciate it. All right. So just some initial thoughts on what I've read. Um, I know that some of you guys might be like your hackles are up, you know, because they're talking about validating feminism in a historical sense. And they're sort of validating the feminist uh, framing of patriarchy, but they're also critiquing it. So I think that this is a kind of, you know, milk toast um, defense of patriarchy. I don't think that that's necessary. Um, I, I, I personally believe that. Again, this is a product of its time. It was 1991. The, the feminists were going pretty hard back then. Um, political correctness was getting out of control in the 90s, especially on college campuses. I was um, around it, but I was a little too young to like really care that much or get overly invested. So, but I rem I do remember it. So, all right, I'm gonna keep going until I get some calls. All right, so yeah. Um, so far, my main, main issue is um, they shouldn't be defending feminism. But again, there's a book from the 90s, you know, who knows? And in addition, um, I will say that I do appreciate to some degree that they are bringing women in in terms of their own ascendancy and their own mature feminine that he's bringing up, even though this book isn't about feminine archetypes. But again, um, you know, men and women, we share the planet. We got to like you, you, you can't look at the issues of one gender in a vacuum you have to like relate it to something so maybe somewhere someone wrote a book about women um like they're and, and without sort of framing it as you know those poor babies look at how oppressed they are so all right let's uh go ahead i'm gonna read this first bit so this chapter is called part one from boy psychology to man psychology section one the crisis in masculine ritual process we hear it said of some man that, quote, he just can't get himself together, end quote. What this means on a deep level is that so-and-so is not experiencing and cannot experience his deep cohesive structures. He is fragmented. Various parts of his personality are split off from each other and leading fairly independent and often chaotic lives. 
A man who cannot get it together is a man who has probably not had the opportunity to undergo ritual initiation into the deep structures of manhood. He remains a boy, not because he wants to, but because no one has shown him the way to transform his boy energies into man energies. No one has led him into direct and healing experiences of the inner world of the masculine potentials. This sounds a little wooey, but if you look past the sort of like hippie language, I think you guys might see what they're getting at. When we visit the caves of our distant Cro-Magnon ancestors in France and descend into the dark of those otherworldly and innerworldly sanctuaries and light our lamps, we jump back in startled awe and wonder at the mysterious hidden wellsprings of masculine might we see depicted there. We feel something deep move within us. Here, in silent song, the magic animals, bison, antelope, and mammoth, leap and thunder in pristine beauty and force across the high vaulted ceilings and the undulating walls, moving purposefully into the shadows of the folds of the rock, then springing at us again in the light of our lamps. And here, painted with them, are the handprints of men, of the artist hunters, the ancient warriors and providers, who met here and performed their primeval rituals. Anthropologists are almost universally agreed that these cave sanctuaries were created, in part at least, by men for men, and specifically for the ritual initiation of boys into the mysterious world of male responsibility and masculine spirituality. But ritual process for the making of men out of boys is not limited to our conjectures about these ancient caves. As many scholars have shown, most notable among them, Mercia Eliade and Victor Turner, ritual initiatory process still survives in tribal cultures to this day, in Africa, South America, islands in the South Pacific, and many other places. It survived until very recent times among the Plains Indians of North America, the study of ritual process by the specialist may tend towards dry reading, but we may see it enacted colorfully in a number of contemporary movies. Movies are like ancient folk tales and myths. They are stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our lives and their meaning. In fact, initiatory process for both men and women is one of the great hidden themes of many of our movies. I just want to add a quick disclaimer. That is true if the movies are true. And when I say true, I don't mean factual or historically accurate films. I mean films that are saying something that is true universally. A lot of films today don't do that, but you can because they're propaganda. But you can find a lot of older films or at least even if the directors and writers had like a, a goal or an agenda, if the films were very, very big hits and super successful, the, the agenda was sort of like uh, it actually got overshadowed by the universal truth that was actually being demonstrated. And that's because it was coming out of the writers and directors subconscious and they were just doing what they thought seemed right for the narrative, even if they were trying to make maybe make a story about class struggle or sexism or racism or whatever it is. A good explicit example of this can be found in the movie The Emerald Forest. Here, a white boy has been captured and raised by Brazilian Indians. One day, he's playing in the river with a beautiful girl. The chief has noticed his interest in the girl for some time. This awakening of sexual interest in the boy is a signal to the wise chief. 
He appears on the riverbank with his wife and some of the tribal elders and surprises Tommy at play with the girl. The chief booms out. Tommy, your time has come to die. Everyone seems profoundly shaken. The chief's wife, playing the part of all women, of all mothers, asks, must he die? The chief threateningly replies, yes. Then we see a firelit nighttime scene in which Tommy is seemingly tortured by the older men in the tribe and forced into the forest vines. He is being eaten alive by jungle ants. He writhes in agony, his bodily mutilated in the jaws of the hungry ants. We fear the worst. Finally, the sun comes up, though, and Tommy, still breathing, is taken down to the river by the men and bathed, the clinging ants washed from his body. The chief then raises his voice and says, The boy is dead and the man is alive, or born. And with that, he is given his first spiritual experience induced by a drug blown through a long pipe into his nose. He hallucinates and in his hallucination discovers his animal soul, an eagle, and soars above the world in new and expanded consciousness, seeing, as if from a god's eye view, the totality of his jungle world. Then he is allowed to marry. Tommy is a man. And as he takes on a man's responsibilities and identity, he is moved first into the position of a brave in the tribe and then into the position of chief. It can be said that life's perhaps most fundamental dynamic is the attempt to move from a lower form of experience and consciousness to a higher or deeper level of consciousness, from a diffused identity to a more consolidated and structured identity. All of human life at least attempts to move forward along these lines. We seek initiation into adulthood, into adult responsibilities and duties towards ourselves and others, into adult joys and adult rights, and into adult spirituality. Tribal societies had highly specific notions about adulthood, both masculine and feminine, and how to get it. And they had ritual processes like the one in the Emerald Forest to enable their children to achieve what we could call calm, mature, secure, rather, maturity. Our own culture has pseudo-rituals instead. There are many pseudo-initiations for men in our culture. Conscription into the military is one. The fantasy is that the humiliation and forced non-identity of boot camp will make a man out of you. The gangs of our major cities are another manifestation of pseudo-initiation, and so are the prison systems, which, in large measure, are run by gangs. One comment about that, though, is that the gang initiations um, I don't know about the military, but with the gangs, they are trying on a subconscious level to simulate that. They do have this instinct to create a kind of ritual to basically turn a gang member from a boy into a man. So, like, however you feel about gangs, irrelevant. But the point is they are trying to do that. This is why um, a lot of people who are in gangs are the children of absent fathers, and they're trying to find fatherhood and family and masculine connection with like elder masculine men who are also probably the products of single mother families. They're trying to find that approval, that fatherly approval from these other, these basically peers. And they're create the reason why I guess this would be considered a pseudo ritual is it obviously doesn't it doesn't come from the same place. It's not coming from a wise chief or a wise king or other 
patriarchal uh, leader that like has the uh, the experience to be able to decide whether a boy has become a man, but it comes from other boys who have not become men. So it's not real. We call these phenomena pseudo events for two reasons. So I guess they're gonna explain it. For one thing, with the possible exception of military initiation, these processes, though sometimes highly ritualized, especially with city gangs, more often than not initiate the boy into a kind of masculinity that is skewed, stunted, and false. It is, the, it is a patriarchal manhood, one that is abusive of others and often of self. Sometimes a ritual murder is required of the would-be initiate. Usually, the abuse of drugs is involved in the gang culture. The boy may become an acting-out adolescent in these systems and achieve a level of development roughly parallel to the level expressed by the society as a whole in its boyish, in its boyish values, though in a contra-cultural form. But these pseudo-initiations will not produce men because real men are not wantonly violent or hostile. Boy psychology, which we'll look at in more detail in chapter three, is charged with the struggle for dominance of others in some form or another. And it is often caught up in the wounding of self as well as others. It is sadomasochistic. Man psychology is always the opposite. It is nurturing and generative, not wounding and destructive. In order for man psychology to come into being for any particular man, there needs to be a death. Death symbolic, psychological, or spiritual is always a vital part of any initiatory ritual. In psychological forms, the boy ego must die. The old ways of being and doing and thinking and feeling must ritually die before the new man can emerge. Pseudo-initiation, though Though placing some curves on the boy ego often implies the ego striving for power and control in the new form. An adolescent form regulated by other adolescents, effective, transformative initiation absolutely slays the ego and its desires in its old form to resurrect it with a new subordinate relationship to a previously unknown power or center. Submission to the power of the mature masculine energy <clears throat> sorry let me start over submission to the power of the mature masculine energies always brings forth a new masculine personality that is marked by calm compassion clarity of vision and generativity a second factor makes the most initiations in our culture pseudo initiations in most cases there simply is not a contained ritual process ritual process is contained by two things the first is sacred space and the second is a ritual elder, a wise old man or a wise old woman, although I think it should be a wise old man, who is completely trustworthy for the initiate and can lead the initiate through the process and deliver him or her intact and enhanced on the other side. Mercia Eliade researched the role of sacred space extensively. He concluded that space has been ritually hallowed or oh, sorry, he included that space that has been ritually hallowed is essential to the initiations of every kind. In tribal societies, this space can be specially constructed hut or house in which the boys awaiting their initiation are held. It can be a cave or it can be the vast wilderness into which the would-be initiate is driven in order to die or to find his manhood. The sacred space can be the magic circle of magicians 
or as in more advanced civilizations, it can be an inner room in the precincts of a great temple. This space must be sealed from the influence of the outside world, especially in the case of boys from the influence of women. Often, the initiates are put through terrifying emotional and excruciatingly painful physical trials. They learn to submit to the pain of life, to the ritual elders, and to the masculine traditions and myths of the society. They are taught all the secret wisdom of men, and they are released from the sacred space only when they have successfully completed the ordeal and have been reborn as men. The second essential ingredient for a successful initiatory process is the presence of a ritual elder. In the Emerald Forest, this is the chief and the other elders of the tribe. The ritual elder is the man who knows the secret wisdom, who knows the ways of the tribe and the closely guarded men's myths. He is the one who lives out a vision of mature masculinity. With a scarcity in our culture of mature men, it goes without saying that ritual elders are in desperately short supply. Thus, pseudo-initiations remain skewed toward the reinforcement of boy psychology rather than allowing for movement towards man psychology, even if some sort of ritual process exists, and even if a kind of sacred place has been set up on the city streets or in the cell block. The crisis in mas mature masculinity is very much upon us. Lacking adequate models of mature men and lacking the societal cohesion and institutional structures for actualizing ritual process, it's become every man for himself. And most of us fall by the wayside with no idea of what it was that was the goal of our gender drive or what went wrong in our strivings. We just know that we are anxious on the verge of feeling impotent, helpless, frustrated, put down, unloved, and unappreciated. Often ashamed of being masculine. We just know that our creativity was attacked, that our initiative was met with hostility, that we were ignored, belittled, and left holding the empty bag of our lost self-esteem. We cave in to a dog-eat-dog -dog world, trying to keep our work and our relationships afloat, losing energy or missing the mark. Many of us seek the generative, affirming, and empowering father, though most of us don't know it. The father who, for the most of us, never existed in our actual lives and will not appear, no matter how hard we try to make him appear. However, as students of human mythology and as Jungians, we believe that there is good news. It's this good news for men, as well as women, that we want to share. And it is, what, it is to this that we now turn. Okay. So that's the end of the first part of that chapter. Um, so yeah, I agree with the bit about rituals. You know, I know that, just for the record, and I got some questions coming in now, so. For the record, above all else, I just want to make sure you guys understand that I, I stand for individual liberty for men and in the long term for women as well, although I don't think that women by and large want it. So maybe if men make that a priority, then women will follow. I don't know. But that above all else, right? But <clears throat> what is uh, something that I think could be beneficial to understanding that, why I think that that's the most important thing, or at least like you could say the end goal, the, 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 uh, the um, uh, what do you call it? The win condition, um, which is liberty. I think that one thing that will help us get closer to that is, in fact, 
us having a better um, connection with masculinity, have a better understanding of it, and by extension, better connections with other men because it's it's in those spaces that you like sort of figure out that that's actually what men in general are driven they're sort of driven towards you know they want to live as uh free people they want to be um liberated but not in the not in the way the feminists say about women's liberation not not that but like to to be allowed to be who they are okay and that i think that that's what you find i think that like when i think about what they're talking about with these rituals you know i'm reminded of um i, I remind of jordan b peterson right and i think about him a lot in this because i think that he represents a kind of even if you think it's like a false idol or some kind of golden calf of masculinity or whatever i mean but what's interesting to me is when peterson hit the scene a lot of men were watching his videos and I believe that the reason why was because he was a high profile figure that was speaking about masculinity and men in a, let's say, a, a not demonizing way. He had tremendous compassion for them. He thought that they were a force for good. And he even wept at the thought of how we treated men. So what if you were a young man and you're feeling generally anxious and worthless and put upon and blamed for all of the ills in the world and so on and then there's this older gentleman that's been a, you know lecturing for a long time and he does use Carl Jung and he speaks a language you get because he's really good at um sort of like expressing his ideas and he like talks about Pinocchio and you know and and Cain and Abel and all these other stories but he is specifically like like for a young man that's sort of like aimless it feels like he's talking right to you and then i think in a way he is because like he does have some a lot of useful things to say about um masculinity if you've ever read 12 rules which i have uh there's a lot in there about that and uh, i think that um if you one of the reasons why he gets into so much trouble I think has a lot to do with that because the people who attack him are people who don't want men to realize their potential to become the best version of themselves they can be and this isn't about again like i said before it is not about being a service to society or a service to women or a service to the state in fact i'm trying to uh discourage those as sort of like uh, something that you would use to demonstrate your worth, right? It should be what you do for you and for other people who want the best for you. So not necessarily everyone, but maybe you have men in your circle or women in your circle or family members or whatever, and they uh, also want to be a part of that process, you know, of self-improvement and development stuff. And... um what I'm also reminded of was, I believe, uh, Peterson, I saw this as a meme, so it was pretty funny, but Peterson went on the H3 podcast, and the H3 guy jokingly asked Peterson to try vaping, because he, and he had this hookah or something, right? 
And he's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a thing that we do with all the guests, right? He's just, H3 was just trying to be funny, Ethan. But Peterson said, well, I think rituals are important, so I'm going to do it, right? And he did it. And I, you know, even when he said that back then, when he said, well, I think rituals are important. And then he like took a hit from the vape machine or whatever it was. I, for some reason, it stuck with me. Like I never forgot that. And I thought to myself, why am I resonating with this idea? And I keep going back to something else. Um, and I wonder if this book is going to go into it because I don't know. I keep going back to something else. There is a saying that um, women are basically women are women by default. Like their their womanhood comes when they hit a certain age. Right. We just say that they're women now. But manhood doesn't work like that. Manhood is something that, and this is what people say. I'm not saying that I agree with it. Just something that I that, that people say. Manhood is not like womanhood. Womanhood happens organically. You know, I guess the girl, you know, she she starts bleeding and she's a woman now. But for men, it's like um, they 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 have to ascend to manhood. They have to be made into men. They must demonstrate their masculinity. And I think that these rituals are like the ways in which uh, primitive people and like human beings like throughout history until we, we basically came into modernity like we are today. I think it was the way in which we acknowledge that. But there on another level, we recognized we did have to do that with men. But at the same time, we considered manhood to be uh, on a, another level compared to womanhood, right? And um, I think that as there have been all of these uh, cultural and social pushes to uh, not just equality, but like sameness between men and women, what has happened is men have lost that, um, that ritual, that acknowledgement or recognition or ascendancy into mature manhood because well maybe because they couldn't even they didn't even want to figure out what the equivalent of that could be for women and so they just said well no no nothing matters or it was already getting phased out because of modernity because of industrialization and they just figured it wasn't important but i think in in a way men lost something and before anyone says oh you know you want to i don't know like um go back to this time of like asking men to man up. It's, it's not that I, I think that if we had to choose my thinking, if we had to choose between what would be better, let's say that we're kind of in a, uh, like a, like a purgatory of masculine and feminine identity. Right. And we could either make men of, uh, of tomorrow more like women of today where we basically uh, want to give them more special treatment in the same way that we do for women. We can either move in that direction, you know, like the UK is proposing misandry be a hate crime. That's an example of what I mean, where, we're, where our standards for men be, go as low as they are for women. We could do that or we could go the other way and maybe, you know, we, we increase standards of mature masculinity but we also have standards of mature femininity and we try to bring it up to be about as close as we can and 
if, if this has nothing to do with gender, but I mean, if we want to think about what would be best for our society, I'm inclined to side with the latter and not the former, because I think that the former is how you get so much weakness. And when I say weakness, I'm talking about a lack of maturity in both genders, which this book, when it talks about boy energy versus man energy or boy masculinity versus man masculinity, they are basically talking about immaturity versus maturity. And maturity is something that must be earned, right? You don't just get it from growing old. I'm sure you guys know old people older than you that are bigger babies. So I think that there, this is the reason why I'm interested in the book. I also like the archetypes and the symbology, which we will get into. So anyway, uh, those are my initial thoughts on that. I'd like to know what your guys' thoughts are on this first part. And if you want, I'm going to do more from this book because I really want to get into the actual four archetypes, king, warrior, magician, lover, and their shadow components because there are, uh, for basically for each archetype, there's like an ideal and then there's a shadow, which is sort of like the negative versions of it. So... Anyway, um, let's go ahead and take some calls. Thanks, guys, for um, for the uh, for listening to me. And uh, let's see what people. So Swashberry, who's who's my, he's one of our um, our guys. We're gonna go for an hour of calls. Uh, says, Mr. Blur would like to discuss the M.O. of dishonest actors. Quote, I'm locked in a discussion with this feminist in the YouTube comments and wanted to use it as a jumping off point to give everyone a working example of how ideologues engage. Okay, let's bring in Mr. Blur. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to give it a few seconds. I want to see if you guys have any thoughts on what I've read. I didn't look at your chat. So... Jim McIntosh says, except in religion and military, rituals are important. Why uh, is there, could you have rituals in the military that would be good? I was just thinking, like, when they, when they mention that, I think they might be talking about rituals that occur within the military structure itself from, like, say, people that have more authority down to others. But what about rituals that happen within the squad like a socially like if you're you know deployed someplace and you're you have to spend a lot of time around uh other soldiers and you've become close to them like what about those could there be things that they do i i honestly don't know i think it's a good question and what's wrong with religion um do you think it's incompatible i'm just curious so there's that sound again. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a donation somebody sent. That's why. Uh, or it could be a sub. Um, so yeah, when you hear that, that's basically Streamlabs. It just does that every so often. But I I didn't look at. Uh, they I didn't look at what it what it said. All right. So I'm gonna bring in Mr. Blur now. Uh, let's see. Here we go. All right. All right, Mr. Blur. Hello. Welcome to the call. Okay. Darth was a little bit confused about the timing there. <laughs> you would read out my question and then there was a, a, a gap. Yeah, I decided because there is like some lag between when I say something and when you guys hear it. Um, I decided to like create, talk a little bit to create a buffer because if I dragged you in right away, it would be before Darth had actually heard me say that I was going to drag you in, right? 
So. Right. All right. Anyway. So. What did you want to say? So, my, uh, <clears throat> my, my, uh, inquiry this time must have been inquiry more just a discussion topic I, i've been i've been locked in i've been locked in locking horns with this fe- with this feminist in the comments section all day not a not not an hbr video it's from a ba- base fzz if you know him who uh another youtuber <clears throat> wait what's the name of the youtuber again base fzz oh yes 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 i'm actually friends with him on facebook yeah yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like like the bottom like the bottom of the comment section of his of the video he uploaded earlier today. Okay. And uh, okay, the okay, the comment that kind of baited me was uh <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I don't know if I, I'll I'll leave I'll leave out the name of the person, but uh it, it's pretty it's pretty apt. <laughs> okay. So, okay, cool. I I don't I don't believe we can really know if women like older men because they've been treated as second-class citizens for so long i roll women had to procure a successful mate with resources in order to survive which is often found in older men but male fertility is subject to decline with age just as female fertility if women women men reach true equality there may be a shift in the ideal man skewed towards more age-appropriate partners Contrary to male perver- perversions, which seem to desire women as young as can qualify, gross face. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, <laughs> I'm like all right, I'll bite. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, my first, my first, first, co- first response to that was, uh, and the- and there it is. Every time men do something, it's because they're men and they're just perverse or creepy. But when women do the equivalent, there's some weird justification for it that makes it actually not their fault. If you want so-called equality, then you're going to have to stop making excuses for women's choices. Which was fair. <clears throat> which I thought was fair enough. Yep, it's true. Is that... Okay, go on. Is there more? Yeah, yeah, there's more. Because <laughs> this, this is... That, that, was, that was the first exchange. <laughs> and this is okay. where the fun begins. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> you seem to have a problem. You seem to have a reading comprehension problem. I'm not, I'm not defending the equivalent, which would be women who want to date teenagers or men 20 years younger than them. It's a very real possibility that older men are considered attractive largely because of social dynamics and inequality. Compare the number of women who want their partners to dress up as, quote, schoolboys to men who, who want the bold equivalent, and you'll see why men are often, often considered perverse. Now, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna let that slide. <clears throat> yeah. And this, this is where it starts, because uh, this is what, what she, the first thing she does. Uh, I, all right, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll quote and then I'll interrupt myself. Uh, all right. Now you're, now you're doing what dishonest engagers normally do focus on a particular word instead of the argument being made maybe maybe i should have said opposing or parallel behavior but you know exactly what i meant social dynamics are not arbitrary and women and men don't value each other for the same reasons this isn't a construct that's an observable consequence of how humans have developed over time the fact that you can see similar social dynamics across time and cultures means that they are based on something fundamental to the human psyche, and you therefore can't simply change or otherwise replace them. <clears throat> that's, 
Uh, that's the that's the first half. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's and that's what. And this isn't the first example, but it's what a lot happens a lot is where they'll focus on a word that you use instead of what I actually said. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Uh yeah, it's a tactic. Um I guess like uh the, where I'm at with it now is that this whole thing like I just come at this saying, look, you know, you're participating in a con and you're a useful idiot so maybe it's a bit that like it doesn't encourage conversation but the, to believe that like to believe that men and and has have built all of civilization by enslaving women um it, like it's just dumb like it's just it's just really stupid and it makes no sense it's just a big ass con and that, like, even this book, when the guy mentioned patriarchy, I was like, you're giving these bitches too much credibility. Like, for most of human history, things sucked for everybody. And there were tyrants. They existed. They called themselves kings, pharaohs, emperors, doesn't matter. And, um, but most people struggled. And to look at a generally human condition... And just say this is a product of sexism against women, or this is all this boils down to. It's a moron's view of the world, and it's extremely childish. It's just like looking at slavery and saying this is a product of racism. When slavery was practiced by every like na nation, every ethnicity of every nation, of every people on the planet, and most of the time they enslaved people that look just like them. So that's a ridiculously stupid thing to say. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just sort of like done engaging in these games because yes, the language thing is their best weapon, you know, like manipulating the, the meanings of words or getting hung, hung up on some technicality. It doesn't get them any closer to the truth. It just allows them to play some rhetorical game. And I think that a lot of the time they don't actually want to get to the truth. They don't want to win an argument with a better argument. They just want to uh remain comfortable in their own like in their own delusion so yeah and uh <clears throat> I'll, i won't i won't read the entire rest of the comment just the two two things that were that have become relevant later yeah i said i said that women women are not victims of social dynamics any more than men are and inequality is not a one-way street and the example she used of us of uh, men liking, of some men liking women in, in a schoolgirl outfit is a bad example because that's she was comparing essentially a fetish to a reproductive strategy. That's not a good comparison. Uh, yeah, that's a the schoolgirl thing. Um, I think it's it's not entirely a fetish. I think there is a um, it's sort of like. It, it exploits nostalgia in older men and in those and the women that participate in it. Like you think about why is it the schoolgirl uniform, specifically high school uniform. Um, and I think it's because at that time in your life, you were basically hitting your adolescence and you were at your horniest. And so you were like, like looking at girls in if they were wearing uniforms um then it was the it was like the memory of young women in uniforms that brings you back to your memory of being 
a teenage boy and that's why it's interesting to you uh the nurse thing is another one like i don't know if it it could be a fetish i just i'm not certain it's the right word when i think of fetish i think of shit that's really out there not you know what i mean i mean i mean, I mean as fetishes go it's pretty it's pretty tame oh it's very so, vanilla yes yes so, <laughs> but but then her response to that is like uh fucking hell just because i phrased it in a mocking tone doesn't mean i wasn't focusing on the argument in what way did i insinuate that social dynamics are arbitrary well okay i i did sort of attribute that to her but that's usually what feminists do but mm -hmm. but uh just be just because social dynamics can't be changed simply doesn't mean they shouldn't be even if it takes some time it's, great great job not great job not responding to what i said because that's not what I, that's not what i said <clears throat> and then well, women are bold ab absolutely bigger victims of social dynamics you literally must be delusional to state otherwise no yeah. that's your opinion here i don't i don't care if you think it's a bad example it shows that men are socially accepted when they fetishize girls and it's not some small scale thing a lot of men are that nasty a lot of loaded language there yeah yeah it's a there's a maybe, stark contrast may, may, maybe the reason why male like sexual interests are like less what does she say like more accepted more mainstream less shamed it shows that men are socially accepted when no, they no, no, no. girls is what she I, said i i think that's because men generally don't give a fuck and women are overly concerned with what people think so th this isn't because we demonize women more. In fact, you can tell that we don't probably as much as we should because like, you know, how many women have OnlyFans accounts and they expect that if they're gonna start dating a man that he not have an opinion on that. Um, how many women have like um, premium Snapchats or um, Patreons where they put up naughty photos of themselves or whatever it is i i think that that uh in general i mean it takes okay it takes a sort of somewhat exceptional woman to do that like that she has to basically say i don't care i'm gonna you know behave in this way or like put my sexual uh preferences out there whatever they are but in general like normie women are worried about judgment from other women and i think men in general are less worried in fact the reason why is because other men are less likely to shame men for their um sexual preferences whereas women will shame other women for theirs and i i think it's just like a social control thing but i don't think it's because well i i, I know that you know this i'm just sort of like putting out there that these are bad arguments that are like pretty fucking sketchy and presume a lot so oh yeah, and then and, and the end of her <laughs> the end of her comment there uh there's a stark contrast between perversions found in the average woman versus the average man and the latter is far more likely to bring harm to someone oh shut up uh-huh yeah yeah and then <clears throat> okay then the la last comment in the in the chain so far because <laughs> uh <clears throat> i start to you're like you're doing it again simply in this context means that the change should not be done lightly or without due consideration when you start meddling with the foundation of society you could very well be undermining something that people depend on without realizing it these things have to be replaced and if we replace them with things that don't work a whole lot more people will suffer for it 
I'm saying don't change. I'm not saying don't change things. I need to edit that. I'm not saying don't change things. I'm saying don't change things recklessly. Mm-hmm. Women, <clears throat> then women are not bigger victims of social dynamics. How would you even begin to quantify that statement? How do you measure suffering? There's no way to do that objectively. You necessarily have to make a value judgment in that regard. And since that will change depending on who you ask, that is bold, arbitrary. And there's and <clears throat> there's the and there's the another tactic that I wanted to bring to everyone's attention. They'll they'll use their value judgments as if everyone just accepts them mm-hmm. and just and treats and they'll state things as if they're just they're just true axiomatically when they need to be demonstrated and they're mm-hmm. and with things like this there's no way to actually like measure things like this because it's inherently subjective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well that's because when again when you bring about postmodernism and critical theory which i think have a lot of people they might not know that they're doing it they may not know what to call it but they engage in it and they engage in it because it's what matters is that your opinion is reality and when it's convenient but other people's opinions are just their opinions and um that's why she's doing that that's why she's making these these subjective judgments as though they're not only uh absolute but they're also like you know um true by consensus like it's just assumed that everyone who matters who's worth a damn agrees with that statement so yeah, and, and everyone, it's just a tactic everyone who disagrees, everything everyone who disagrees with me is delusional yeah, yeah that's, they're that's delusional the or they're truds <laughs> or whatever right so you either you're either part and this is the way feminists have argued forever right sjw's and feminists have argued this forever is they use consensus and then they say that enough people agree with me so now it's true and that's how they arrive at reality it's like literally it's like warhammer 40k orcs enough people believe in it and it actually becomes real except it's less fun because i like orcs but <laughs> yeah, enough, people, enough people used to believe that people were witches and uh, you know how that ended yeah well <laughs> it, it ended up uh, basically though that that the witches thing ended up benefiting feminists today because they could go back to that and say that was you know uh the historical oppression of women is the salem witch trials even though there were a, a, probably just as many if not more men that were uh accused of witchcraft and most of the people doing the accusing were women but hey we don't want to get those 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 pes, pesky uh, facts getting in the way, so. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I continue from where I left off. By saying women are bigger victims, you are saying that women's suffering is more important than men's. The who's the biggest victim game has no winners, and it's a game that no one should play. Mm-hmm. I, could, I probably could have expanded that a little bit more, but I was but I was on my walk. <laughs> yeah, sure, your, sure. Your, your example. Your example doesn't show men being socially accepted. Most Americans find that kind of thing weird, and those guys only find acceptance from like-minded people. In Japan, that isn't even perverse. It's just their culture. And why does it? And why does it have to be nasty? As fetishes go, that's tame. And I don't know what your standard here is. <clears throat> sure, there's a market yeah. for it, but there's a, but there's a market for everything. And then, <clears throat> then my response to her last part was a. How are men's men's perversions quote more likely to harm someone? How would you even begin to measure this? Not only would you need a distinction between men and women's perversions, which are relative, you'd have to define harm, which could mean anything in this context. Things that things that some men do that I don't like is not a good standard to judge anything by. And 
<laughs> there has been radio silence so, thus far. Mm-hmm. But, 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 uh, but yeah, I, I probably could have extended on a few of, the, few of these a little bit more, but it's like they treat, they treat their subjective hangups as if they were objective reality. Mm-hmm. They, they fail to make meaningful distinctions between men and women when it matters, and then and then do and then do so when <laughs> it doesn't. And then, yeah. And they seem to project their project their cultural their their hangups onto the entire world because, like you know, the schoolgirl thing. You'll see that a lot more in Japan than you'll see in America. In Japan, that's just that's kind of just. That's kind of just their their daily life. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, like Japan does go a little into weirdo territory, but that's just that that's you know that's their standards. Nonetheless, um, yeah. If she thinks that the schoolgirl thing is is like out there and weird, um, she hasn't seen enough darkness on the internet. I've seen. The, some of the darkest parts of the internet because I used to have a DeviantArt account because I was foolish enough to think I could just post my drawings there and it would just be a place to post art and then I saw <laughs> the kind of art that other people were putting up and I had to quit I was like I you know it's just yeah and that's and, oh, uh, those days. <laughs> oh my god that was like in the that was like in the early 2000s so. When I used to not know the, the true face of the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, she she's uh, she is so green. Um, oh, yeah. She actually said she's actually nineteen and just. Oh so yeah, no if wonder. You're dis- if you're disgusted by the idea of you know men that are old enough to be your father, you know, trying to hit you up, then that's fine. But don't project that onto everyone else. A lot of women will, in fact, pursue older men for a number of reasons. And they're they're free to do, and they're free to do so. Absolutely, like I uh, when I actually not long ago, like uh, I don't know, ten years ago, I think when I I was in school, I was going, I went back to college, and yeah, I was like in my early forties, and there were nineteen-year-old girls that knew my age that were pursuing me. So, like, I I, you know that uh, yes, that happens, like. It's not it's it's not because well obviously it's not men preying on women and it's a, not even about resources because you know I wasn't looking to settle down with anyone and they weren't looking to settle down either they're just you know they women do have an attraction to men that make them feel safe and those men that are more likely to make women feel that way are men who are themselves you know um, they have their they have their shit together in some way they're relatively confident they're good at communication and they might have a good sense of humor whatever it is right but they they seem to have their shit together in a way that you men that are closer to their age may not and so i i have, that has absolutely happened to me and um i know that women do it like i'm not saying it's smart but they do like 19 year old girls chasing after 30 something guys, 40 something year old guys. It happens. Um, so this is one of the reasons, by the way, why I have trouble buying into this story about um, is it Evan, Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson. Now, I know Marilyn Manson is a weird guy and I'm not going to defend 
I'm not going to defend him absolutely. I'm basically just going to take the stance of let's see what the evidence shows if this goes criminal and what they uncover. But the idea that when Evan Rachel Wood was like 18, 19 years old, he was grooming her when I know that there's just as much of a chance that she was pursuing him because he was fucking Marilyn Manson and she was nobody. Um, I mean, like, that's absolutely possible. Like, I, you know, so I I don't I don't um, count that out because. You know, it's, I I think that it's entirely possible. I think that women, young women, do they can be pursuant. Now, the way that they go about it is, you know, uh, subtle because they're not like they're, they're not just going to run up and grab a guy's junk or you know ask him out because they're still women. So they're basically instead they're going to try and play this game to try to put themselves around the person they're attracted to as often as possible in the hopes that that person will respond to their um, feminine advances, if you know what I mean, which are usually not upfront. They're usually like concealed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's like rep- our, you know, our, our, our reproductive strategies, you know, they're, 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 dis- they're distinct from each other, but they're, but they're like informed by a whole lot of different factors and and by just attributing that to you know social dynamics and quote inequality whatever that's supposed to mean mm-hmm. it's just another, it's just another way of removing accountability from women and i just simply will not stand for it anymore yeah yeah well anyway yeah it's she's so so i i don't know i i i would say that uh she's being conned she's a useful idiot and uh, those definitely like the those are the tactics you should be on the lookout for. But I would just tell her that I say you're being conned. You're an idiot. You don't know the men, the relationship between men and women is very old. And most of it was one of love and cooperation. And you're basically contributing to this like distrust and animosity that is growing between not only men and women, but men and men. So, yeah. Our social our social dynamics are inherited <clears throat> are inherited more than they're constructed. So we can't we can't we can't just you know just you know throw them away just because they might be inconvenient to some people. We need <clears throat> we we we're social creatures. We need, yeah, we need structure. Yeah, people like her are people looking for simple action, simple answers to complex questions. So, uh, all right. Well, if there's is there anything else, I'm gonna move on to the next person. I got like three um, more questions. Um, no, I don't think there's anything else. Well, but All I right. guess I can I can leave you with my uh, with my Zemnis impression. <laughs> you know what? Oh, that's a it's a Kingdom Hearts thing. Oh, <laughs> but, I see. But I was, but I'll, I'll I was just gonna you know, say something in my in my best Zemnis voice just to, just as a part as, as a part of some parting words. Okay. <clears throat> shit now i actually don't know i don't know what i want to say oh okay no i'll just i'll just read the title sure <clears throat> call and call in show book reading of king warrior magician lover brian's badger lodge <laughs> thank you anyway. uh, <laughs> all right thanks mr blur i'm gonna move you back into the uh the, the other chat all right. Good night. All right. Okay, I've never played Kingdom Hearts, so I don't know if that was a good impression or not. But um, it sounded fine. 
So it's quite chocolatey. Um, all right. So next, Darth Sonic, um, the other screener, he says, Doge, our boy Algae Angel wants to discuss a strange and hilarious series of skirmishes between the local feminists and tradcons of his university. Okay, so I'm gonna bring in Algae Angel, um, and we'll let him make his uh, make his comments. So I'm gonna bring him in now. All right, welcome to the call, Algae Angel. Yes. Yes. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine. Okay. Mostly. Well, that's good. Mostly is good. It's better than uh, hardly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I only had uh, a strange story that began unfolding recently uh, on the premises of my university. So you go to university? So, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I well. had to return to uh, get my master's degree. Are you uh, actually, are you, uh, like, going into classrooms, or um, are you doing this on Zoom because of the COVID restrictions? Do you have uh, COVID restrictions? We'll go, yeah, we'll be going into actual classrooms uh, from uh, the next Monday. Uh, oh, okay. For now, it's been in Zoom. For do, you have to wear, do you have to wear masks in class? No. No? Oh, we don't. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. Because nobody cares. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad nobody cares. <laughs> All right. So, okay. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know, like, how bad if the if people are like really crazy about that stuff there or not. So, that's good. All right. So, what happened between the feminists and the tradcons? Yeah, uh, so we have uh, a feminist woman and a tradcon woman. Uh, they accidentally discovered each other's existence one day through a social media post and realized that they must do verbal battle on every occasion <laughs> possible. Okay. Uh, in essence, uh, uh, these um, individuals only really disagree on the question of abortion. So they agree on everything except abortion? Basically. So, yeah, you know what? Actually, that makes a lot of sense. But, see they still, uh, but they still want to fight each other, even though they'll come to the same conclusions in the end. Mm -hmm. That men are garbage <sighs> and it's their fault. And women deserve special well, no, not, favors not, and treatment. Not, fr not phrased like that, but uh, it's basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So, uh, also on top of that, uh, the Tretcon woman uh, isn't getting married for a while, while uh, the feminist will get married next week, actually. Well, that's that's the worst Tradcon woman I've ever heard of. Um, do, how old yeah. do you think they are? Do you know? Uh, about my age. Uh, mm -hmm. early 20s. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah well, uh, oh, uh, eggs! Time's running out! Like, like you need to get, get you know... Yeah, eggs! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> 
I just, uh, you know, watching uh, their uh, skirmishes uh, brings me uh, great amusement, but also uh, it makes Marina sad. Because mm -hmm. uh, I will still have to deal with uh, both of those types of people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there are fortunately on the plus side, uh, there are women that are that are neither of those types of people, but those yeah. two seem to be the most common. And on top of that, I think that feminists are more common than tradcons. But um, part of the reason for that, in my opinion, is that tradcons are uh, they 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 give way way too much lip service to feminists. Like if you. I've I've listened to like um oh I I don't remember her name but she's been on like PragerU a few times and you know she is this blonde woman has like cat eyes and she is a tradcon woman I believe um I'm pretty sure she is actually um uh, and she like like the shit that she says is really no different from what feminists say except that they kind of like you know, pat men on the head for it. And, and it's just not enough. And they also still frame themselves as being um, the vulnerable ones. And they think that they're pushing back uh, against feminism. And at the end of the day, Tradcon women are not doing much different. And they're still, by the way, unhappy. So like they, they I think a lot of Tradcon women that are vocal, they are, I wouldn't say that they're phonies, but um, they don't really understand what it is that they're actually standing for. Uh, I think that they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, just like feminists. But they're trying to get it from men instead of the state. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, go on. Uh, uh, also, uh, their first skirmish uh, took uh, place in a Zoom call with an American teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. he's an absolute, uh, soy boy. Uh, yeah. why uh, you take, uh, as a caricature and you'll recognize him. <laughs> Which caricature and of I, the soy boy? Like the, like the soy face and the neck beard uh, and the, or, yep, yep, yeah. Yep, exactly that. Hmm. Uh, well, uh, the funniest shit was that uh, was the fact that uh, he was listening to both of them, but he couldn't do anything uh, about his lessons that was being ruined. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, uh, my God. And uh, it doesn't help. Uh, with the tension that uh, on literature lessons, right now we are reading uh, feminist revisionist uh, literature. Uh, yeah, basically uh, the feminist point of view of history. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why. See that, but you're making my point for me. This is the reason yeah. why tradcon women, young tradcon women, 
are uh, they're basically like doing feminism's handiwork because even if they say, well, I'm not a feminist, they're still being educated by them. And some of that stuff rubs off yes, because they're not willing uh, yeah. to to uh, push back on the central the, idea. It's basically the principle of uh, repeat a lie uh, enough times and it becomes true in everyone's yep. mind. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, what I noticed throughout my interactions with feminist literature is that uh, all of it is uh, a fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, they make, uh, they make their point exclusively through fiction. Yeah, of course, uh, which is. Um, unacceptable to me personally uh, well, because in fiction you can make up any kind of scenario mm -hmm. and it will in no and there is a distinct possibility that it will not be reflected in uh, uh anyway on the real world mm -hmm. or it won't reflect the real world at all mm -hmm. yeah well they they, they exclusively uh work in fiction and they also are obsessed with fiction they that's why they critique fiction they they don't generally critique like actual history they use history to justify critiques of fiction and in, in addition even when they pretend as though they're drawing from reality they're drawing from lies or they're drawing from like they, they work under this model of uh, consensus equals truth, which is what I was talking about with Shaman King or Mr. Blur um, just before you, I, I took you, right? So, like, their studies and stuff are all, they're all bullshit. I mean, it, everything they, they push is bullshit. And it doesn't surprise me at all. So then why do you think, okay, why do you think, despite the fact that feminist literature is all fiction, why do you think it's so effective? It's effective, again, uh, because it pushes uh, the right buttons in people. Mm -hmm. It uh, may be fiction, uh, but it uh, uh, subconsciously presents uh, things in an appealing way uh, to the average person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, even uh, and even then, uh, if uh, a piece of feminist literature goes too far, uh, there will always be milder types of feminism to uh, make the slope more slippery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it only works because men care about women so feminist literature yes. will resonate with them because they care about women which is literally the opposite of the argument feminism is trying to make and women also care well women care about themselves so they resonate with feminist literature because they like to put themselves in the shoes of you know the protagonists this is why like literature that's written if you guys have ever seen this before okay if you read fiction that's written for men like a tom clancy book or something or maybe an adventure story like uh, treasure island or anything by jules verne 
they're usually they're written by men and they're usually targeting men um and these stories are written in such a way as the main character is removed from the person reading the story so men look at heroes of other stories not as reflections of themselves but as um someone outside of themselves but the idea is is that that character inspires men or they, they become aspirational for men you know so the the reason why characters like zoro and the three musketeers were so popular is because that they embodied like some higher level of of masculinity some higher ideal of heroism and men were inspired by that you can go all the way back to homer beowulf you know whatever right ancient greek stories of heroism etc but stories that are written for women are a little different because they usually um make the main characters sort of like empty shells that women can then pour themselves into because the way in which women interact with stories is they put themselves in the shoes of the characters in those stories. Now, this is not a universal, it's not across the board, it's not in every case because some stories that women happen to resonate with don't work that way, but there is a, uh, it seems very popular for stories that women enjoy to have these sort of like bland, empty shell main characters, it's almost like silent protagonists in video games like Gordon Freeman, that they can just pour themselves into and become, or at least like they try to see the world through their eyes. And I think it's because women want to empathize with their main characters, whereas men want to just watch it from, you know, they want to like experience it from uh, sort of removed from the story. And so as a result of that, when you have feminist literature, you can tell a story that's trying to sell people on patriarchy or rape culture or, um, you know, workplace harassment, job discrimination, whatever. And if your main character is that empty shell, which I'm sure most feminists write it that way, then those women are more likely to empathize with that story. And they're going to feel as though even though what's happening in the story is fictional, it's something that does happen somewhere in the world to people because they see it as an experience. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Uh, well. What? Uh, on the topic of uh, empty show protagonists, um... They don't really work for men, and no. I have a, and I have a pretty good example actually. Harry Potter. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> no, no. Harry Potter is an example, though. Like there are men who enjoy those books. There are men who enjoy those books, but Harry Potter as a character does nothing there. He's just like destined for greatness. He's basically a Mary Sue, but um, uh, in a way. But the but the but I think the Harry Potter books are actually even though they feature a male main character I think the Harry Potter books are actually more popular with women readers. Um, but that's just yeah, I could be wrong, but I think so. Yeah, that is true. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they were ever aimed at uh, men and boys. Uh, because even the original test audience was female. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it was basically done uh, by a woman uh, with approval of women and probably for women. Yeah, a woman wrote the book and that's another thing. And not just a woman, but like J.K. Rowling is a feminist. She's a second wave feminist and it's not like yeah. she was intentionally pushing that shit into her story, but it did come out. And then when she, you know, um, like later in life, I think when she became more outspoken. So, but again, I, I it's a, it, Harry Potter is an interesting example, but go on. Yeah, and then she started fucking with canon in all sorts of weird ways. <laughs> yes, yes, saying, oh yeah, Dumbledore that, was gay, guys. Was yeah, stupid. Uh, the worst one is Hermione was always black. <laughs> oh yes, Hermione was black, that's right. I don't know where people got this idea that she's white. Um, yeah, and then fans literally cited where people got this idea from her books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Yeah. So anyway, um the uh that you were talking about um uh going back to the original thing. Did you say everything you wanted to say regarding the argument going on between the Tradcon woman and the feminist woman? Uh well, yes. Also, I had a few arguments with a, a Tretcon woman uh, regarding uh, whether being uh, whether homosexuality is innate or learned. Mm -hmm. uh, she, we basically went uh, round and round until uh, she started contradicting herself. That's yeah. about it, really. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Was very entertaining, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I also, uh, well, also recently, uh, in the conversation with that soy boy teacher, uh, a topic of uh, uh, doom and gloom came up, like uh, the doom uh, that terrible feelings that hangs over a lot of people right now yeah and he can't and he can't explain it in any way he just feels like he's just yeah. becoming a doomer but he doesn't know why no no he feels like everyone around him are becoming doomers but oh, okay. he cannot explain why yeah it's probably attitudes like his he uh and, well uh, yeah whatever he's probably happy yeah. about the great reset and shit well i don't get it guys you're gonna own nothing and you're gonna be happy. What's wrong? I'm not sure. I think, <laughs> he, um, I think he's a moderate that's being dragged into left. Yeah. Uh, because he is against China, uh, but uh, he has a BLM folder on his Google Drive. Oh yeah, no. He drank the Kool-Aid. He just uh, hasn't. He just yeah. hasn't had enough of it to basically be okay yeah, with yeah, we, yeah. Uyghur Muslim uh, Uyghur camps and shit. Um, no, it's Absolutely. it's yeah. I think I think so. So, but well, again, his ability to analyze reasons for people's feelings went away. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, now the like people. The, I'm wondering the people who's. Not, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Not see, uh, that uh, lockdowns aren't making this any better. Mm -hmm. 
like he's all for lockdowns, but uh, he doesn't see uh, their negative uh, side at all. Right. It's yeah. So weird. Yeah, I wonder um, if he like the the. I was just thinking about the lockdowns, and um, you know, we did a show last week where we talked about how uh, we were looking at an article that the guardian put out talking about the negative impacts of lockdowns of people not having like a uh, sense of touch. Like they're not, they're, they're, they're losing human contact and it's affecting their yes. mood and in their depression and stuff. And I was thinking about the, the possible gender um, like the effects of gender uh, on this. Right. Um, because I think that on some level it's actually probably affecting women more and the reason why I say that is because I think men generally are more resilient. Um, so I'm not saying it's better for men. I'm not saying that. But I think that they can put up with it better. I think that they can tolerate it better. I think they're more adapted to it. And I think that for those who care to, I think there are a number of men who are who don't care about rules and they'll just figure out ways to spend time and that means like civil disobedience and they'll do it if you look at a lot of the viral videos of uh, business owners that have refused to follow the standards most of them have been men now it could be simply because more men own small businesses but i think that a lot of it has to do with the, the fact that they are men and they are getting sick of being told what to do because i think that men in general are more disagreeable than women and they also are more also, liberty, uh, like more liberty loving and more uh, open to taking risks regarding that liberty. Yeah, another strange thing that came up in that same conversation was the fact that he didn't understand the need for people to meet up in person. Yeah. Well, again, you know, because. Well, I, I for one, uh, uh, almost never meet up with people in person, but a lot mm -hmm. of people find that necessary, and he doesn't get it. Yeah, probably because he himself doesn't. Maybe he doesn't do that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he seems extroverted. Mm -hmm. So that, so that looks strange to me. Uh, someone in the chat say men are suffering more. No, I, I'm not talking about who's suffering more. I'm talking about who's dealing with it better. I think that men are probably suffering more, but I think that men are handling it better, if that makes sense. All right, um, Algie, I got to move on to the next person. Yep. So do you have yep, any final thoughts or? Nope. Uh, right. Everything's already out. All yeah. right. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. That was fun. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay, so Jay Willie is next. Jay Willie, get ready. It says Jay Willie would like to discuss a pet peeve of his, namely the way that people defer to the dictionary or other reference sources which are corrupted by certain ideologies like feminism or leftism. No, well, they absolutely are. Um, so I'm going to move. Oh, I got a super chat from Natty. I'll read this super chat and then I'll bring Jay Willie in. Natty gives me five pounds and says, apologies if you've discussed this. What do you think the Equality Act means for just selective service? Um, I don't think it's going to. Are you talking about selective service in the United States? Because I don't think that women are going to get. <laughs> that's not going to happen. I don't think that women are going to get drafted or, or be required to sign up. 
uh, because the government here is a feminist government, like basically every government. And um, they're not going to do that because feminists will whine and they're not going to remove selective service because, I mean, we just sent uh, trans and and uh, gay pride and Black Lives Matter um, flagged bombs over to Syria, which means we're going to be entering another conflict. And for us to do this diversity bombing, uh, we're going to need men to go so while we're not drafting men yet and we haven't done that in a while uh we may so i personally don't think the selective service thing is going to change at all but uh, i have to look at it natty but thank you for the super chat and bringing that to my attention um will men start identifying as women no 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 wait but natty it's okay because trans women can serve so they still will <laughs> that won't change anything um and it's it really won't, but I I don't know I don't know. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna move Jay Willie in here. Uh, welcome to the show, Jay Willie. Oh hello. Oh Did hello. You my question, or should I do? I read it, but if you want, we can uh, restate it so you can like put it in your own words. No, I think that that, that the way you read it is. Um, it's the best. So I think you can answer first, and I can elaborate. All right. So yes. So your pet peeve is basically that, you know, the uh, the basically academia uses um, the dictionary just like they do anything that they can call an authoritative source or consensus to essentially alter reality. That's the purpose, right? So they change the meanings of words in the, in the dictionary and they um, they defer to it because now they've officially changed it like. It's interesting that you mentioned the dictionary. I, I was at a gun store today um, and I went there because I became like I became pretty on good terms with the owner. And the owner is this old guy that used to live in West Virginia and uh, he uh, was a retired police officer that, you know, had a big pension and just wanted to run a business and he likes guns. And so he opened a gun shop and he basically just hangs around uh, the gun shop all day and men come in and out and he talks to them and uh, he's good friends with people who come into a shop. Right. And he's a he's a very decent country boy. Right. Older gentleman, retired policeman. And I was hanging out in there. I didn't even go in there to buy anything because he said, you can come in here whenever you want. We'll just hang out like you can just come and hang out. Right. And I said, OK, I'm going to drop by the gun shop because I don't know a lot of people in, in Roanoke. And so he was really friendly to me. And I figure I'll I'll stop by. And I went there and I hung out with him and a bunch of other dudes that are regulars, you know, also like one ex-Marine, another ex-Army ex guy. Later on, a National Guard guy came that was actually stationed in Washington, D.C., like like for the Capitol. He was stationed there. He was part of that that company. And we were all talking. And the um, the owner of the place said that he told me how they changed the defi definition of the n-word and how it, you and i remember when i was a kid you know um i don't know if you ever did this but when i was a kid and i was in grammar school uh i got into the gifted program and so i got like a, a kind of like a more advanced dictionary that had like basically all the words in it as opposed to you get these like 
dictionaries when you're in school, at least what I did, that would the sort of like um, they were for your reading level. So if you were like in fourth grade, you get a dictionary for that. And it didn't have like really complex words. It had words that they expect you to know at a fourth grade level or that you would learn at the fourth grade level. So when I got my dictionary in sixth grade, because I was in the advanced program and it was like one of those really thick ones, I would look for the curse words you know, to see if they were in there and like get the definitions for the curse words. And I saw the N word was in there. And at, at that time, the N word meant uh, something like a useless and lazy person or something like that. It wasn't racially defined. It was just like a general term for a useless and dumb or lazy person, something along those lines. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, and, and that's the reason why, why Tree of Logic, she still uses the n-word to, to mean that when she uses it in the live stream and if people yes. say a slur she always said like no you're actually racist for saying that only black people can be n-words yes 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 <laughs> so, brilliant. yeah it's, but but like the old definition was not racial it was just an insult to a person right and i remember reading it and thinking this is why like later it didn't make sense to me when people were saying oh that's a racial word and i'm like is it because i've looked it up in the dictionary but they changed the definition in the dictionary so now it means like you know it's basically a derogatory term levied at african-americans or black people or people of color oh, or whatever like so I, I they stand the term african-american yeah so no i know <laughs> no, no, I, I know. I hate that term, too. But like the point is, I'm using it as an example of what I mean. So your your comment, because it's not really a question, it is essentially that progressives and woke scolds, SJWs, leftists, whatever you want to call it. I like just calling them leftists because, uh, first of all, it pisses off leftists. Um, that are moderate, but they they but but I use it often enough so that they want to distance themselves from it because if they're decent, they're not leftists. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. But I, I just use that term. But I think that there the idea is to if you control the language, then you control people. And so they they do this. It's by design. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. And they know what they're doing. They're participating in the con. And how many people today would would you be able to convince that the N word, for example, does not mean it has nothing to do with people's skin color or their national origin or anything and that it was just an insult about a person Hmm? i really convinced several people about that my friend Mm -hmm. and also my mother my dad too like so i guess a few people because um it made sense to them and because we are close so we can talk about stuff so again i guess that kind of depends on that but like when you can't just convince a normie about that but i also kind of realized that if someone for example they use the definition from a from a dictionary as a truth. I'm like, but if if they are not in favor of like leftist policies, they don't want communism, they don't want feminism, um, then why do they allow the communist feminist types to define reality according to them? Why do they use their ideology as a blue as like a source of why me who's not who, who's not a leftist by the way is it's wrong mm-hmm. like they are literally like then I, then what why should, then do you think that there's like a reason why i shouldn't say that they are just leftists themselves or female supremacists because that they're using if they're letting those people define reality for them why 
Now, why shouldn't I call them out and why should I take them seriously when I do that? Oh, I mean, I call them out. Um, so, yeah, why not? I mean, like, I think a lot of people are unknowingly participating in this game. So, you know, on the one hand, I know it's a con and I know that the smart people know it's a con so they don't believe their own bullshit. But there are a lot of useful idiots that do and they want to be kind and so they, I mean, I'm even doing it a little bit by saying N-word instead of the real word. And the reason is because I'm thinking about, like, could could this be used against the channel? And because yes, sometimes I, yeah, obviously. But um, I still occasionally, let like, say it. like, And it's not it's not because I made a mistake or something. You know, it's just because I, I frankly don't give a shit about that word. It doesn't have power in my mind. But the the con goes, you know... Um, people who are considered to be authorities uh, are the only people that you should listen to provided that those authorities agree with their worldview. And that means that if you get the um, scientific community to all agree on something that you like, that you that you find politically expedient, like, say, climate um, hysteria, for example, then everyone has to go along with it otherwise they don't believe in science like you get to use this against them if you get a bunch of feminists to agree and of course they're going to uh you call basically you get a bunch of academics to all uh, like sign off on each other's papers about rape culture about the wage gap about um gender being a social construct whatever about <laughs> transitioning children if, and if they all agree, which they will, because they all share the same worldview, then you get to say, look at all of these academic papers that confirm my belief. And there's no, you can't objectively, um, like, toss it out because well, they, you can, but I'm saying, like, they wouldn't, they, it wouldn't work on them. Like, they wouldn't, like, want to suddenly go back and say, maybe we should reevaluate because it's not about whether or not what they're pushing is true or false. It's about whether or not it will get them what they want. So it, they just use this to get what they want. It's like, have you ever seen um, cool. socialist debate with um, or, or leftist debate with uh, anti-leftists or anti-communists or, or anti-SGWs? Well, and they basically the, say um, re that right-wing policy and capitalism and racism is things I don't like and things that are wrong. And if you don't agree with me, then you are wrong because I define it so. And then you're yeah. like, you know, it. but that's yeah. like, it's like, it doesn't make any fucking sense, but that's what I do. But I also would like to, like to say that if anybody cannot, can anybody who, who points to consensus when it comes to science, cannot doesn't make any sense because they're rejecting the scientific method because if you don't believe in the scientific method then you can't believe that science is a consensus because that doesn't make any fucking sense by any sort of request by any standard standard at all like no it's, it's okay. really illogical and yeah that's the absolutely. reason why if somebody isn't a feminist someone isn't a leftist at least not identify as such right then why would they use leftist feminist definition uh, dictionaries to define their terms when they're having political discussions unless they are either that even though they don't know it is controlled opposition and why should i take them seriously and why shouldn't i call them leftists or call them out on it yeah well i, 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 don't, I shouldn't but 
Yeah. Well, I, I would say that there people still use the words because the uh, these new definitions and they take these these leftist arguments seriously. I think the reason why is because even people who stand against it, whether they are conservatives or right wingers, um, like as in libertarians or ANCAPs, they play by the left's rules because the left created the rules. And they're playing by those rules, and that's the problem, right? So you if if the if a person sets up a chessboard and um you like they give themselves, I don't know, a bunch of like advantages, and yet you sit down to play chess with them anyway, you're going to lose because they have given themselves whatever advantages, maybe more time to move. Maybe they, you know, they, they allow themselves to take moves back and redo them, but they don't do the same for you. And you may not, uh, you may think that you could win this chess game um, because you figured out the fact that they are rigging it. So you think you can just sort of outmaneuver them in some way. But the problem is that you're playing chess in the first place when they're not they're clearly playing something else it just looks like chess right or i don't know if that's a great analogy but you know what i mean like so when for example and this is something that i've talked about a lot so um i have watched people on that are on, in the center like tim pool like carolyn borisenko um i don't know if you guys know who i'm talking about that have basically tried to form arguments against sjw's but they use the terminology and the definitions of SJWs to fight them. Okay. Oh, that, that actually, and, one of my friends actually, if I, if I may continue on that point. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, like one of my friends, he basically said that the issue with that is that they basically are giving them the facts and then attack your tone. But if they facts that they believe in patriarchy and white supremacy, if their facts were true, then their reaction to their facts would be completely reasonable. Like if you mm -hmm. think that one in three women are raped on every American campus in the world and have been for the last 200 years, then, then like hysteria, it kind of makes sense. Like if you believe we live in a white supremacist society that treats where people are killing blacks and only blacks for no particular reason every day, and that all institutions are incredibly racist, then the then the hysteria and the problem it kind of makes sense, right? So if you mm -hmm. give them the facts and attack the tone, you're just going to to like trying to put out fire with oil. You're just gonna tell you are one hundred percent correct in saying in your facts, but you are being too radical, so therefore um, you're wrong. But but if you give them the facts, then you're giving them the reason to be radical. Like their if the facts were correct, then their reaction would be completely justify that's just like if someone if i for example were to if someone like an like an mra for example were to be completely unhinged or radical then there would be nothing wrong with that because the facts are correct and they would be justified you know what i'm saying and the reason mm -hmm. why they are wrong is because the facts are not reflective of reality right but our facts are reflective of reality because we can demonstrate yes. it Yes, but they but they're trying to control what is real and what is not. So you 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 have to like don't these are the things I would say do not do, okay? Do not try to point out their hypocrisy because they don't care about it. If you are doing that, do it with someone who's on the fence or doesn't really understand. 
Do not say they're the real sexists or they're the real racists or they're the real homophobes because you are essentially validating the narrative that there exists rampant racism, sexism, and homophobia. Instead, like if you look, oh, go ahead. If you look at like if you look to the laws that are being written, especially against um, if you go to many countries like you can go to Brazil, South Africa. Um, Britain, um, America, and then you look at laws, like there are a lot of horrible racist laws, but those law, but the racism is the inverted to what the people are pretending that there is, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So therefore, if it's, it makes sense to point that out, but, but you need to point out exactly how it is. And if you basically point out the, that, then your fact will be correct. But you shouldn't like justify their their lot their fact that these that the, like racism is like this horrible super bad thing or it's second super bad no you should just you shouldn't accept that if that makes sense i hope mm-hmm. well i i think that uh racism by the way that the the left defines it and they do set the terms and this is why we should not play their game um it's actually by their definition it doesn't exist like what what they're actually claiming is something that happens to people if there is discrimination it does not happen to people on the basis of the color of their skin it happens to people on the basis of presumptions about the culture that they are um that they have a problem with and that could manifest for a number of reasons it could be envy it could be language differences it could be um affiliations with maybe some like negative cultural elements that people don't want to be around but that's but it's not just skin color because um i will explain why that is and i think this is something that people are not comfortable with if you look at what's going on in san francisco there are attacks on asian people that blacks are committing against them and um uh thomas Sowell's written about this in his books and basically he explained that the reason this is not new and it's been going on for a long time and the reason for it is cultural because what's happening is you get people Asians in this case like Chinese Vietnamese and by the way the majority of these Asians that are being attacked that have like come come here and emigrated here they are not they're not supportive of like China. They're usually from Taiwan or Hong Kong or they're Chinese people that don't want to be in communist China. They're generally against that. That's why they come to the States because they want to like open a business. Right. And, um, they come here and then they open a small business most of the time they're family owned and so you have like everyone that operates this business it's a family owned business and the people in the family are all employees there and the uh they they usually open their business in uh low income urban areas like one i grew up in so like in in chicago you know we had like these low income neighborhoods that i lived in and the small businesses um, not all of them, but a good number of them were owned by either uh, Orientals or Middle Eastern people. And those people did not live in those neighborhoods. So they weren't really a part of the community. Like no one knew their names or anything like that. But they worked there. They bought property and opened a business there. And the existence of such businesses in these low income areas created animosity because the people who lived in those low income areas, blacks and Latinos, for whatever reason, felt as though the Chinese 
or the um or even middle eastern people were stealing business from them because they were they were earning money there and they worked there and they owned businesses there but they weren't a part of that community and that's a cultural difference and then you add on top of that the fact that there were language limitations so sometimes the uh, blacks and hispanics could not communicate clearly or easily with the Chinese and the uh, Middle Eastern people, and it actually created more animosity. And so there were uh, incidents of like places like get that getting shoplifted and robbed and whatnot because the people who lived there thought that they were essentially just you know uh, taking back what was theirs or or what have you. That the people who lived there weren't really a part of that community. So most of the time, and you could like apply this pretty much in any situation where you have like a culture clash and big differences between groups of people it's got nothing to do with skin color like if uh, when i used to live in um chicago one of my first jobs was i worked in a parking garage and i worked there with a bunch of nigerians and like guys from like ghana and shit and those guys they were doing really well for themselves and they didn't have any problems with racism from white people. They had problems with racism. Well, they call it racism, but it doesn't make sense to me. They had more problems with black people that lived in Chicago because Nigerians and like other Africans, West African people that came here as immigrants, they avoid blacks. That, that How is that racism? Like they're, they're irrelevant. I mean, like, so go just ahead. Just to play the devil's argument would be to like, like one could say that when I live in South Africa, there's a lot of racism between ethnic groups and that usually don't take skin color into consideration, right? Because there are several ethnic groups or several people dislike other ethnicities, right? They are racist towards other ethnicities, but they aren't racist to, um, but it kind of like goes over skin color line, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, like the worst example of racist hate crimes would be black victims and black perpetrators, but it's different ethnicities because a lot of the a lot of people dislike other they're racist towards other ethnic groups because of historical reasons, right? And that and usually that's that's like black other blacks. Like one good example would be the the Kasa and the Sulus who are, have a lot of dislike between each other, right? Not all of them, but many of them really don't mm -hmm. like the others. Um, mm -hmm. So, and that's what why they they get attacked. And I think that would be similar to to like other other blacks if, if they are like in people that immigrate to America from West Africa, they are di they are like ethnically different from the blacks that are yeah, absolutely. Well, more than that, they they're culturally different. different. Yeah. Yes, I, I guess one could say that if that's the mindset, because the when it comes to places like Rwanda, the the Tutsis and the Hutus, like they were killing the Tutsis because their racial phenotype were different. They look different, so therefore they should die. Like that was like mm -hmm. what they were thought about. That's the racism. Um, but just just to, to tie it back to, to the to the core topic in that that the main issue I have with it is from people that are debating me, who are not leftists, at least not nominally speaking. Um, and then you still use these leftist sources. Um, like, even though the, we neither they, of us agree with left, the, that the left are, are the good guys, we both think they're bad, but they're still going to use their facts against yeah. me, even. Like, so yeah. stupid. Yeah, I, that, that's, I think that it's because, again, like a lot of people uh, have been taken in by the con. And even if they disagree with, essentially, what they disagree with 
isn't so much the tools or the methodology of the left because they think that those things are real, um, but they disagree with the left's conclusions. So that that's what their issue is. So when the left says so, and so therefore we need communism, the 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 right, the center, the anti-SJW, uh, even the ANCAP, it doesn't matter how far right you go. A lot of them still like believe that the general uh, base for their uh, for those conclusions are based in reality. They believe, oh yeah, like racism, that's totally real. Um, you know, patriarchy totally existed. Feminism was once necessary. It doesn't matter. You can find people from every point on the political spectrum that agree with those things, but they just disagree with the conclusions that the left puts forward. And the problem with that is, is that as long as you accept those premises, as long as you accept any of the left's premises, you are giving them what they want. And arguing against their conclusions is a waste of time because they're just going to keep on marching and the and the uh, the Overton window is going to slide to until it gets to where they want. So like the revolutionaries that you hear from today, they're just people who are impatient and they just want to get on with it and, and bring about the communist utopia. But they are... Um, they're doomed to fail. That's why making fun of pink-haired feminists is, it's, it, you know, it can be cathartic, but it's ultimately not the real target. It's the people who are moving very slowly and very surely, and they're allowing the language to change, and they're allowing the definitions to change, to adapt to their new framework until everyone accepts the framework, and then they just take the next little baby step, and it's just going to keep going. And no matter what interest group you're a part of, you are useful tools. That's why all of this stuff is um, largely meaningless, like people arguing for trans rights or arguing for, um, you know, uh, fucking immigrant rights or whatever. They're all being used because at the end of the day, it's about using people's self-interest, you know, depending on what special interest groups are a part of in order to push what they want, which is essentially to, to control everyone. And they are willing to play by their rules. This is why, you know, Ben Shapiro saying, oh, let me point out how hypocritical they are. Ha ha, how smart am I? I'm just like, yeah, but you still accept a lot of their base presumptions, which means you're giving them what they want. So you're wasting your time and our time. And you have to reject the premises right up front and you have to throw out the dictionary and say, nope, this is no good. They fucked it up. You have to throw out all this stuff. And that's hard because people... Without like something to like abase their ideas on, without like a basis, which is the which is language itself, we can't form ideas. Like it's really hard for people to formulate ideas. You know what I mean? And that's hard. Like I can get like to the most uh, open-minded people, and when I talk to them, sometimes they're just they just don't understand what I'm saying. You know, uh, this is this is a real problem that I'm running, I'm running into. So. Yeah. That, that actually happens to me too. But like the, the issue is that when they give them the facts, but they use mm -hmm. the conclusion of that is that if you accept the axioms that are wrong and then your, your opponent uses those axioms in a calculation, then mm -hmm. you can't be mad at the result because you literally gave them the axiom. Like, so if you have the fact, if you give them the facts, then you can't, you score at the conclusion because the facts, it was justified their conclusion. And that is why I think we see so many flip-floppers who basically think SGWs are bad, and then they kind of change on it because they never went against the facts. 
They use like mm-hmm. accept the fact and use against the conclusion. But if you really do that, then you need to accept the conclusion too or reject the fact. And they didn't want to do that because it's too uncomfortable. And that is very dumb to do. And that's the reason why I hate it when people when people are only against the SGWs, they're not in, they're not like they only because then you're basically attacking the symptom of the problem. You're not gonna mm-hmm. attack the root of the problem. And and then when you point out the root, then they just don't care about the symptom anymore because that's too uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So uh, I don't know if that helps, but um, those are my thoughts it on that. I just have okay. one extra conclusion I could have. That is one conclusion my friend uh, gave me once. Um, and, and that is that if a person uses a word, you or another person, when that individual is using that word, that word literally means what the user is, is wanting to mean. Like, yeah. if I for use a word, then that word literally means what I think it means in that context. And I do think that is a bit more useful than accepting their logic. And the reason why that's at least preferable to accepting their dictionary logic is that at least then nobody, if the orbit, you don't have, no one is the, is the um, arbitrary what words mean, um, but, but nobody, more than anyone else. And that mm-hmm. is... The, an easy way to any uh, 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 that is a tactic that could work in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that can be a little bit dangerous because then words become so subjective that we can't have a, a conversation. We have to, I think, agree on words meaning something, but we have to work around the illogical way in which the left has twisted words. So you have to like. Um, and and you have to allow for uh, words that we also need. Like for example, if you type misandry right now into um, like a word document, it comes up as a misspelled word, and that means that the that for example, the mainstream doesn't accept misandry is a word. And um, I th- some what I just wanted to point out that if you go if you if you type into Swedish term for misandry, it is going to accept as being earnest. So that's at least a plus. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, well, in the English language, then. Uh, but yeah. but like the, the the you know, I think that's by design. I think that the feminists don't want people to have a word for hating men, uh, because if you have a word for it, then people will start to acknowledge it. It's just like misogyny. I didn't know that word, and then. You know, I heard it and then all of a sudden I was seeing it because when you have something that describes what you're experiencing, then you can communicate that idea not only with yourself, but with other people. So, okay, but anyway, final thoughts on that. I agree with you by and large. I do think that the sort of standard way in which we operate in the way we use language, at least in English, because I don't know about other languages, it's been highly distorted by leftist SJW types, and we have to be adamant against using their words because you're playing their game. But um, I don't think we can go all the way the other way. So if I sit like right now, what I do is if, when I sit down with someone to talk to them, like I did today when I went to the gun store, if a word came up that I thought could have a couple different definitions, I said, 
okay, we need to define this term. So here's the word, and here's what I think it means. And if they agree with me that that word is defined fairly, then we'll continue to have a conversation. Uh, because now we can use that word and we're not thinking different things of the other person. I think that might be the way you do it, you know? Yeah, but because the one example one can like determinate what a word means, that would be to to use the word in the most logical sense. Like if mm -hmm. I'm using a word in a way that is logical in a definition, like I define it in a logical way that makes sense, right? Yeah. And if somebody defines it in a way that is illogical, then most people who are not brain who are not indoctrinated into the other person's mindset are going to see that my that that I am basing it more in logical, so therefore, making the definition make more sense than the opposite person's definitions, and, yeah. and that, that that's actually very useful because at least then the listeners, the background audience, is going to at least concede to accept your um, definition much better than the the, the opposing one, okay. and this is actually kind of useful because it works. Actually, I've seen mm -hmm. it working, mm -hmm. and if somebody, for example. One thing when I do is people say racism is only happening to the people of color. And I'm going to say that, okay, but then I'm going to say by that logic, then they're then, then murdering someone for being a, of European descent is not racist. By calling a, a, a dark-skinned person a, 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 a meanie word would be racist. So then, then I define racism as something that isn't important. And then if our definition is racism is that you think you want to race is bad and, or that you don't like them or that you have negative opinions about them, then that is a far more, that would be far more appealing to other people and that have worked in the past. Yeah. And I think that's a more winning strategy, I will say. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I could take that. I'll let the uh, chat talk about it. You guys can give your thoughts on all these questions and also uh, your thoughts on the parts I've read of uh, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Um, I am interested to see where they go with that. So, uh, Jay Willie, thanks so much. I'm going to move you into the screening room. Okay. And I did get one more. It's just a text question. I'll go ahead and take it really quick. So, uh, Darsonic413 has a text topic for you if you don't have time. Bring him on a call. Yeah, I'm just going to read it out. Uh, he's been concerned with the tendency for people to say that it's only fake nerds who have co-opted nerd culture to push a political or social justice agenda. He thinks it's dangerous for us to forget that sometimes it's real nerds who are doing this. All right, well, I, I can't speak for why people would say fake nerds, but I'll tell you why I'm inclined to do that myself. So I don't want to speak. My ideas don't reflect other people's ideas. Um, if you are passionate about a given subculture or hobby, say you're a big Star Wars fan, say you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, say you're big into Dungeons and Dragons, or you're a big gamer that plays a lot of, I don't know, Monster Hunter or Resident Evil, whatever it is, doesn't matter, because these things have infected basically everything if you're a Trekkie. Um, you got into this hobby because you loved whatever it was source material you loved marvel comics you loved star wars as it was right you loved dungeons and dragons as it existed there was something about it that sucked you in and made you a nerd about or a geek which might be a better word about this particular hobby okay so if you have an initial 
love or passion for a given hobby, then it would seem to me to be antithetical to want to change it for social justice reasons. Because then you're not actually in love with that hobby because you want to change it, right? Like it's not fine the way it was. Like if you thought that, I don't know, if you thought that Star Wars was sexist or homophobic and you thought it was so important that you wanted to see it addressed, why would you get into Star Wars at all? So I, I think that on some level, I can understand where it's coming from. Let me also add one more thing on top of that. Um, if you are a nerd who is also like pretty like socially liberal, which I think most nerds are, to be honest, because that just seems to be a trend, right? To, when I say, I say socially liberal and not leftist because socially liberal people are usually fine with like letting people live the life however they want and they don't generally want to force people to accept things or to change things or to adapt to something or whatever they generally have a live and let live approach like uh you know let's say you were a gay person and you wanted to play dungeons and dragons and you got to a table of people at a convention and they were homophobes so they were saying homophobic stuff like maybe they're making gay jokes or something and you for whatever reason were not comfortable with it well if you're a socially liberal person you'll just leave and go find another table where people will be less like that whatever okay or you'll just sort of stick it out maybe you'll joke with them and maybe they'll learn you're gay and and you'll find out that they're not probably homophobes and they just like making gay jokes right um but if your identitarian politics is more important than your hobby even if you have that hobby then you may not be a fake nerd but your priorities are inverted in such a way that you basically feel that you being a black gamer is more important than you just being a gamer. And if you being a black gamer is more important than you being a gamer, then you might become insufferable around people, but also stay a nerd. And the fact is that insufferable people exist in basically every subculture. So... It's, I would say that there are fake nerds and these are people that are narcissists that essentially insist that they control everything, but they don't actually like the thing that they claim they like while they're trying to change it because if you really liked it, you wouldn't try to change it. And then there are people who they like the thing, but they're, all, but they're also um, insufferable people who always put themselves in the center of everything and they or or maybe uh for them just being an activist is like a step above being a hobbyist and so they think it's just higher priority um that's that's what i think it is i i don't know if it's dangerous to do that but i do think that gatekeeping i'm all for it personally I'm all for it because the fact is like there are people who don't love your hobby and and they and they come into it acting like they do but they ultimately just want to change everything and someone who comes into something wanting it to be different doesn't like it imagine okay imagine this put it this way just make it simple okay you meet a girl and you like her and you try to go on a date with her you try to take her out 
and then she decides to go ahead and give you a shot and you go out and you're sitting at dinner and she tells you that she likes you she you seem like a good guy but she wants you to change she wants you to uh, lose weight get a different job change your fashion choices uh, change your eating habits um, maybe stop stop your Gundam model building hobby because it's too expensive whatever but she wants you to essentially change a bunch of things about yourself but she also claims that she likes you well odds are she doesn't because if she did she wouldn't want to change you so much now it doesn't there's a difference between that and wanting you to just be a little bit of a better person but I'm talking about changing you to the point where you're nothing like the person she met this is the same thing that's happening so if you look at it that way, um, that's the kind of relationship that most nerd cultures have with these um, micromanaging SJW types. Is that people that want to, they, they don't actually care about the thing that they're supposedly fixing. They just want it. They just like, they, they get joy out of like controlling people and getting them to submit to them. And that's one breed. And then there are people who are geeks, but... They also find that their identity or their activism is more important than their nerdy interest, and they may not know the damage they're going to do, right? So, uh, DarkSonic413 gives us five bucks and says, well, I guess in this paradigm, real nerds can potentially become fake nerds via identitarian indoctrination. Possibly in this timeline, yeah. Uh, it, it just comes down to, like, what is more important, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. So, um, okay. So I'm going to wrap up the show. I did go a little long today. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I'd like to get again, your thoughts on, um, King warrior, magician lover. I have, uh, next time in a couple of weeks, I'll read the rest of the opening bit, which is about uh, boy psychology. And it sort of like lays out this, the, um, you know, uh, the paradigm and how it's arranged. And then we'll get into, well, we'll get into the archetypes. So um, if you guys like this video, please hit like, subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Oh, I got another super chat. Okay. Darth Sonic 413 gives us five bucks and says, by dangerous, I mean how some can let their guard down around someone with sufficient nerd knowledge only to get stabbed in the back for politics. Yeah. Yeah, that can absolutely happen. It just comes down to, like, where are people's priorities? Like, I'm political, but I don't want to change my my uh, passions for other people. It just comes down to people who want to leave you alone versus people who, who can't leave you alone. People who want to be left alone versus people who cannot leave people alone. And it's the people who cannot leave people alone that on some level... They're either fake or it's irrelevant whether or not they're real or fake because they're trying to force their ideas on everybody else. All right. So anyway, with that said, I'm going to get out of here. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Uh, like, share, subscribe, comment, and hit the bell for notifications. Thank you guys so much for coming on today's episode of The Badger Lodge. Thank you to the screeners, Darth Sonic and Swashberry. And I'll talk to you guys in the next one. I'll see you in two weeks for more of this. It's true that some things change as we get older. 
But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.